Well, this morning we're going to look and, and, and continue our, our, our study. We're in a series called Gifted Kids, and uh, we're, we're getting close to the end of the gifts here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14. There are two or three more that sometimes we're not aware that are hidden in here. We're going to look at those in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, the dramatic gifts, as some people would call them, we'll, we'll finish up next Sunday with, with them, but then we'll look at uh, a couple of others that are in here, and then we'll move to another passage, and we'll, we'll finish up our study here before too long. And, and I can honestly say this, uh, I have never preached through all the gifts, okay, so this is a first for me. I've never been taught about all the gifts. I've been taught about this one, these few, or these few. But I've never been able to experience all of them. We've been, we're going to be if the Lord uh, doesn't change his mind and he doesn't return before we finish. We're going to have been able to do that. And hopefully it will help us as a body. Hopefully it will help you as individuals to get your, your mind and your, and your hands around whatever gift or gifts the Lord has given you. There's not a person in this room, in our overflow, that doesn't have a gift if you know Jesus Christ. Most of us have more than one. In fact, I would say all of us have more than one. There's a mix there. The problem is most of us never figure out what they are. We never take the time. We're not, we haven't been shown that it's that important. It's that important, okay? Because if I function in my gift... I am functioning in a complete way, in a mature way, in an adult way. I mean, none of you want your kids to stay two years old. Amen? You know why they are two years old? So you'll long for the days when they're, when they're three, okay? The terrible twos. You know what? In, in God's house and, and with, his, with his children, he doesn't want us to stay two years old, two, two year olds for our whole life. He wants us to learn to walk. He wants us to learn to talk. He wants us to learn to use all the things that he gave us so that, that we can mature. And that's one of the reasons we've been looking at this study and, 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 and di- diving in and digging in. And we're going to dig in a little bit more today as far as the gift of tongues goes. I can honestly tell you I've never preached a, but two sermons on it, and that was last week and the week before, okay? And today will be the third time, all right? I've never heard any sermons on it. So I'm, I'm, I mean, I've, I've, I've studied it a great deal. I've experienced it, I've, I've, I've seen it, but I've never been taught systematically about it. And so today I want to I kind of draw the, the actual gift of tongues to a, a completion. Next week we'll look at the interpretation, that gift, which is a different gift. But the best way I've learned, especially in leadership, to deal with misunderstanding or to, or to, or to deal with fear or to deal with mistakes is just to deal with it. Amen? Just face up to it. I grew up in a home where we avoid it, okay? <laughs> we were kind of like the uh, proverbial uh, 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 ostrich that stuck their head in the sand, hoped the wind changed directions and blow. But you can't do that 
in the real world. You can't do that in a marriage. You can't do that in a family. You can't do that in a church. You have to deal with, with, with things. And the best way to face it is to face it head on and to look at the facts. And so that's what we're doing about this gift. This, the gift of tongues is, is without a doubt the most misunderstood gift in all the scriptures. And so it's important to look at what the Bible says, not what fear says, not what confusion says. It is a spiritual gift, and it has been given to us by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter seven and uh, chapter 12, verse 7. And I'm going to read verse 7. And he says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So what that tells me is that every believer has a gift. All right? That, that's each one. And they're given the manifestation of the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit manifests Himself through that believer, and that's what that gift is. For what? For the common good. So that we're all built up. Therefore, all the gifts that Scripture uh, mentions, all the the, the passages that talk about these gifts, they're there so that we can build up one another. We We can build a building, a body that's mature. That's not immature, not childish, but that's mature and ready to move with the Lord. And so he says, but each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then he, in, in, in verse 10, he comes to this gift. He says, to another, various kinds of tongues. And we've, we've defined tongues as, as the word either means the little implement in your mouth or languages. And in this context, which determines it, it's, it's, it's languages. So this, is, this gift of tongues is a manifestation of the Spirit. And it is meant to build up the church, not to tear down the church, just like every other gift is. This is one area of manifestation where the gift is... is well, let me back up and say it this way. There is one area where this gift is seems to be most resident. And that's in what... Today we would call what the, what many people in the church call a personal prayer language. Okay, and so I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. Many believers have prayer language. Many believers in this body have prayer languages. Now, for those of you that don't, it's okay. It was a gift. They got it sovereignly, or uh, God gave it sovereignly. If you have one, fantastic. If you don't, fantastic. Okay, it's it's not a them or us. It's it's a we thing, and so we're gonna we're gonna take a, a little bit of time today, and 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 we're gonna talk about the prayer language where where people speak to God in a, in a tongue or in a language, but they don't know what they're saying. Yet they are encouraged, they're strengthened, they're empowered, and they're edified by it. Maybe you have a prayer language, and you use it in your private devotions, or or when you worship God with it. For you, it's very personal. It's intensely personal. And it's a private thing. So I want to spend a little bit of time here today. And and I want to look at what the Bible says about this use of the gift of tongues. And I want to kind of pull back the veil a little bit. Because I, I, I want to do it for two reasons. I want to help those of you who don't have a prayer language understand a little bit better. Okay? It's, it's not mysterious or anything like that. And I want to help those of you who do have a prayer language, I want to encourage you to grow in your language, to grow in your in your devotion to God, to grow with it. 
Because if you don't explore it and you don't embrace it, what you will tend to do is you won't use it. And if you don't use something, what happens to it? We tend to lose it. Okay? Now the gifts and the callings are irrevocable. God does not take it back. But you know what? If you don't use a muscle, what happens to it? It atrophies. It shrinks up. And then when you want to use it, guess what? It's just not there. That's what I'm talking about. God doesn't take it away. We just misplace it. And so I want to encourage both groups because we are not two groups. We are one group. Does that make sense? This this is not about them or us. This is about us, we. But I I want to encourage a little bit both sides today. I want you to I want to remind you of our, our working definition for the gift of tongues. It's it's a supernatural spirit energized ability or capability to pray or to worship, to give thanks, or to speak a language other than your own or one that you've learned. Quite literally, and I've said this several times, it, it literally is the verbal utterance of the Holy Spirit being spoken through that person. It's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. He uses the vocal cords and, and the instruments that, that, that our, you know, God designed to make our voice work. He uses those and he speaks. Now like all the other charismatic, all the other gifts, the Holy Spirit's the one that energizes it. The Holy Spirit is the one that enables the human spirit to do what otherwise it could not do. This is not something a person does in the flesh. Because if it is, it's flesh. Right? It's not a spiritual gift. It's just babbling. But what I'm talking about is not babbling. and It's not human flesh. It's the Spirit of God speaking through a person, having gifted them with a specific gift. Now I want to remind you again this morning, and, I, and I've done this all the way through this study, that, uh, that no gift, regardless of what it is, or what you have makes a person more spiritual, or makes God love that person more. I want us to understand that, okay? I, I think we all do. It's a gift. You may have the gift of, 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 of prophecy, or you may have the gift of, of helps, or you may have the gift of hospitality, or, or whatever. You, it's an important gift, because you have it, and God's given it to you. Use it. You may have the gift of tongues. Use it. God's given it to you. And we're going to look today at, at one of the ways in which this gift can be used. I, I love what the Holy Spirit does. He works sovereignly. He is no respecter of persons, according to Acts 10.34, which means he doesn't show special baby. This is just a regular baby in the family. Special, 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 regular. Special, 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 ordinary, special, special. He doesn't do that, okay? He says, these are all my special ones. And so I'm going to pour out my gifts on them to make them even more special. But listen, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Okay? All of God's children stand on level ground. We just have different gifts. 
I mean, if we were to look in this room this morning and I was to ask you, what is your talent? In other words, what were some of those things that you were born with that, that nobody else in your family is able to do? Or maybe it's a talent that you've learned. There would be all kind of talents in this room. Now, sure, there would be some that overlap. There would be two or three of us that might be able to sing for thing. You know what I didn't get the talent of? I didn't get the talent to sing. I didn't. I wear it out over here, but the only one that sounds good is to God because I, I was singing a while ago and I realized, my gosh, that's awful. You know, I even realize it's not good. But some of you have beautiful voices. Some of you can play instruments. Some of you can do amazing things with numbers or you're creative you can paint you can draw you you can do all see we're all different it's not that one's better than another we're just different god likes difference if he didn't he'd have cut us all out of the same mold with the same cookie cutter but he didn't just look around there's not a person in here in here that looks exactly like someone else we're diverse It's the same way in the spirit realm. It's the same way when God pours out his gifts on it. We're diverse. And with that diversity, we are made stronger. You want to know why this nation is struggling right now? It's because we have been a nation of diversity for 241 years. People came from everywhere with all kinds of beliefs and all kinds of ideas and all kinds of talents. And somehow we made it work. But all of a sudden, it's my way or the highway, depending on which side you're on. And guess what will happen? If something doesn't change, it will divide down the middle, and there will be a war. All right? There will be. There will be a revolution. There will be a a rebellion. That's what's happened in the church. We're either all alike or hit the road, go somewhere else to bring. That was never the way God intended it. He intended to to bring unity out of diversity, not uniformity. Okay, that's a whole separate sermon. I got to move on. Okay. So I want to remind you this morning that, that whatever gift you have, it doesn't make you more spiritual and it doesn't make God love you more. As Paul writes the Corinthians, and listen, folks, this is the this is the 12, 13, and 14 in 1 Corinthians is is basically the passage where we learn about this particular gift. It's a a long, drawn-out argument. Paul has a purpose in it. But he makes some statements that if we just read like they are, then we have to realize that he's talking about a lot more. And he makes one of those statements in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18. And it's a statement that there can only really be one plausible explanation. This is what he says. I thank God. I speak in tongues more than all of you. I want you to think about it. Maybe you've never read that verse. Maybe you've never, it's never dawned on you. Paul is writing to a church that's gone nuts, okay? <laughs> 
And I, 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 don't, I don't say that necessarily in a good way, but they were divided. Man, there, were, there was a group here and a group here, and they were fussing and fighting over everything. And, and their idea was that if you, didn't speak, if you didn't have this gift, you weren't spiritual, you weren't whatever. And so they were, they were using this gift all the time. And Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now think about that for a minute. Because we don't have one single occurrence in the scriptures where that's recorded. Not one. When Ananias came, you remember Saul, who later would become Paul, he was blinded on the road to Damascus. The Lord appeared to him. He goes to a house and a a disciple named Ananias comes. And and Ananias lays hands on him and he prays for him. And and Paul, he, he receives his sight back. And there's no mention there of of tongues. We know that that Saul is baptized. There's no mention of tongues there. Yet he states categorically, he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. If you you just use common sense, then, then the only way he could have done that was to use it in his private worship and his private prayer time. All right? Because he's he's constantly preaching. And teaching. That was his ministry. He was, he was the apostle to the Gentiles who carried the gospel to people like us. And yet we don't have any mention of him using tongues. Yet he says, I did it. I do it more than all of you. So he must have done it in his, his private worship time and his private prayer time. And I believe that, that the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 bears this truth out. Paul used his, his gift of tongues in private, what we would call today a prayer language, okay? Based on the argumentation of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul, I've said this over and over, he's dealing with the the public use of tongues. He's not dealing so much with the private use. But in dealing with the public use, he gives us some insight into the private use of tongues. He doesn't forbid the use of this gift, either publicly or privately. He just says if it's done publicly, there has to be an interpreter. Why? So that everybody who is gathered there is edified. So that everybody can understand what's being said, what the message is. In private, this gift is beneficial and it's edifying, but it's only edifying to the person who is engaged in it. In public, the tongues have to be interpreted so that everybody's edified. Or they're not to be used out loud in a corporate worship setting. Now, most believers who have the gift of tongues, I really believe this, will never exercise it in a public meeting. Okay? I shared with you last week or the week before that, that, that I have a prayer language, but you know, this has never pushed me to speak out in a private, I mean, a public setting. He may, but he hasn't yet. And I would say the vast majority of people with this gift, God has never pushed them to speak out in a public setting. They use their gifts to, to glorify God privately. 
Now, if he does, and there's someone to interpret, so be it. But for most people, that probably won't be the case. But for some, it will be. But here's the thing. If they do that in a public setting and it's interpreted, it's likely they use that gift in private as well. Does that make sense? If you have a prayer language, you know what? You don't have to worry. You don't have to sit in and just shake. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. God's going to ask me to stand up in church. And, and sp- He's probably not, but he might. But he's probably not, okay? But if he does, and you do it biblically, you know what? It's likely that you have a prayer language that you could use in, in private. I'm going to move on. I hope I haven't confused anybody. In 1 Corinthians 14.2, Paul says this. He's in, he's, he's in his, his, he's arguing the public verses, or the public use of tongues and why there needs to be an interpreter. He's going through that. He says this, he says, For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, no one hears, but by the Spirit. And if your translation says in the Spirit, That's an alternate translation. I think by the Spirit would be a better translation. But by the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. I want us to look at this passage. Because this passage has a lot to say and it'll help us understand a little bit more about uh, speaking in tongues and and using them as a a prayer language. It, It reveals, I think, three positive things about speaking privately to oneself and to God in, in a prayer language. First, it says that a person who does this is speaking or communing with God by the Spirit. For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands but by the Spirit. By the Spirit. He speak, that person is speaking by the Spirit. They're communing with God. And, and as I've mentioned before, this is usually praise, it's worship, it's prayer. It may be intercessory prayer. It may be petitionary prayer. It, it may just be simply prayers of praise and thanksgiving. Or you know what? It might involve singing in the Spirit. Singing a new song with your spirit that only God can understand. But Regardless, it's a very intimate encounter with God. It's an humbling, childlike way that God, only God can understand. God understands in that moment what your desires and what your wants are. And then he, he gives you his desires and his wants. There's a transformation. I've, I've been praying before when all of a sudden and petitioning and, and, and all of a sudden I would begin to pray in that prayer language and I don't have a clue what it was but all of a sudden there would be a relaxing. All of a sudden I, I thought, you know what, I don't have a clue what I'm saying but whatever I'm saying God knows and, and God knows it's right. Because the Spirit of God was praying through me. The same thing happens to you if, if you use this particular gift in this way. It's a childlike, it's a dependent position. And God very often speaks to that person, even as that person speaks to him. That person may not know what they're praying, yet they may sense an overwhelming presence and the pleasure of God. There's just, there's peace. There's peace. Now during those times of of praise and, and prayer, weariness... You ever been weary when you prayed? You ever struggle with doubt? 
is God really hearing this? I mean, I've been a Christian since I was eight years old. Do the math. I'm not eight years old anymore. And you know, there'll be times when I'm praying that I wonder, I wonder if God actually hears me. You know what? Weariness and doubt and discouragement, it disappears. And you're strengthened in your spirit, which usually has a profound effect on your soul and on your body. Why? Because we don't know how to pray sometimes. We don't know what to pray for. And when that happens, I just allow the Holy Spirit to move me and to pray through me, okay? I I don't know how to pray. You know what? You don't have to have a gift of of tongues to do that. If you you pray in in whatever your mother language is, I'm going to assume it's Southern English here, okay? But whatever it is, if you're praying and you don't know what to pray, just go quiet for a minute. And guess what happens? The Holy Spirit will pick up and pray for you. So this is something that that if you have or you don't have this gift, you can do. That's what Scripture teaches us, that He will do that. But you know what? Sometimes I just allow the Spirit of God to move me, and I allow Him to verbalize the prayer in the way He wants to, and I don't worry about it. I don't know what I'm praying, but you know what? I'm content, and I'm confident that it's the will of God. Because I'm allowing the Spirit of God who knows the mind of God to pray through my spirit. I'm just giving Him control. Worship. I just get overwhelmed by the grandeur of God. You ever get that way? I mean, I can't sing. I I just can't make sentences. I I can't do anything. I'm just overwhelmed. And when that happens, I I just allow God to move. Sometimes I just praise Him. In whatever that tongue is, I just praise Him. And sometimes, you know what? Those inadequacies that I have, those hesitations that I have, the fears that I carry with me, they all melt away. It's just God and me. See, if we could just get to that place in worship here, where it's just God and you, God and you, God and you, God and you, and you, and you, and you, you. not God and us, just God and you, then, then what would happen is as we worshiped individually, corporately would take care of itself. You don't have to do that in a tongue. You can do that in English. Okay? It's just drawing a circle around yourself and shutting out everything. And so sometimes when I worship like that, it's just me and God. And you, you've heard me say this, the picture that I get in my mind is God just kind of gathers me up in his arms. And it's like a dance. Except my feet never touch the floor. And it's around and around and around. It's the only time I can go around and around and not get dizzy and sick. All right? I'm just telling you. So I know it's God. I know it's not the devil. But when I worship like that, I, it's like I'm worshiping without limits. I'm not, I'm not worried about what anybody else thinks. It's free. It's totally free. It's totally uninhibited. And so the private use of of the gift of tongues enables a person to commune with God in prayer and in praise and in worship. Uh, You commune with God. That's the first way. The second way is Paul tells us that mysteries are spoken. 
mysteries. What is a mystery? It's something that has not yet been revealed to us. A mystery in Scripture is, is something that's not been revealed. It, 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 in this verse, it likely means something that rests outside the understanding of the speaker. In other words, they begin to speak things they don't understand. They're so overcome by God. Perhaps that's what Paul means when he writes this verse in Romans eight twenty six. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. We don't know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. It's mysteries. Now, listen, I could go on and, and talk for ten more minutes and try to explain this to you, but I don't understand it, okay? And I don't found anybody that does. So I'm just telling you, it's a mystery, And if that's not good enough for you, dig into this verse because I would love somebody to enlighten me a little bit more. But it's it's a mystery. And so the person who speaks, speaks mysteries to themselves. The third, the gift of tongues used in a prayer language brings personal edification to the one speaking. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 14, it's clear, the one who speaks in tongues edifies himself. That's what Scripture says. In other words, the one who speaks in tongues builds himself up. Now, that's not in a negative way. All my life, I've heard that put in negative light. But that's not what Paul does. He never once forbids it. Most of the people who argue against the gift of tongues say that personal edification is nothing more than self-serving, selfish and categorically wrong, it's self-edification. But I I want y'all to think a little bit. You you guys are thinking people. Amen? God's giving you good minds. You can consider those things. And so let's just think about it for a moment. Is not personal Bible study, Scripture memorization, meditating on passages of Scripture, journaling, or personal prayer, self-edifying? Do you not get something out of it when you do these things? Yes, you do, or no, you don't. Yes, we do. It enhances us personally, right? Well, if you use the argument that those on the other side who, who say that that's just totally you know, selfish, then all of those things are selfish. Amen? Okay, at least two of you are going with me. I'm I'm not trying to trap you. Listen, it builds up the individual believer who does it. If I read my Bible, and I pray, and I, I do those kind of things, it will build me up individually. But you know what it will also do? As I am built up individually, as you do those things and are built up individually, guess what happens? We corporately build one another up and edification takes place not just personal edification but public edification corporate edification it's vital to our spiritual growth that each of us take care of their own personal temple amen how many of you have ever had a a teenager that uh, didn't take care of their room I mean most of us have at my house, it was for a, a, a period, okay? 
a day or two. But you know what? If you don't take care of your room, what happens? It gets garbaged up. All of a sudden you have food in there that's not food anymore. It's a science experiment. You have clothes in there that... I'm just going to leave that at where it's at, okay? But your, your, your room becomes trashed up. It's unlivable. Listen, our temple needs to be taken care of. We've got to take the garbage out. We've got to cut the grass. We've got to paint the wall. We've got to keep it clean. And that's what we do when we edify ourselves, when we build up ourselves, when we study, when we read, when we pray, when we do all those things. It builds up our personal temple. And when I build myself up in Christ, it helps other people mature. And when they build themselves up in Christ, it helps me mature. See, we, we work off of each other. Personal growth creates corporate growth. If we don't grow personally, we won't grow corporately. The biblical term for that is edifice. And that's what Paul is talking about in this passage, in this whole chapter, about corporate edification. Paul not once indicates that self-edification is wrong, nor does he rebuke anyone who spoke in tongues. He argues only that when it's used in public, it has to have interpretation. That's the argument of the whole chapter. If it's interpreted, it's fine. It's right up there on the level with prophecy. If it's not, he tells them, speak to yourself privately. He explains, really, what happens when one prays in a tongue to themselves. They are edified. They are, self, they are, are built up personally. Paul writes this. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, he says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. But my mind is unfruitful. Now I want us to understand what the word unfruitful means. Okay? It means it is of no benefit to others. That's all it means. It doesn't edify anybody else. In other words, while I'm praying in tongue, it's no benefit to the other people around our minds. It comes from our spirit. Listen, we are spirit we are soul and we are body. We are not just mind. We are not just brain. Okay? God designed each of us to be controlled, our spirit to, to be controlled by His Spirit. And when our spirit is controlled, it's supposed to give directions to our soul. In turn, to our body. When Adam failed, guess what happened? His spirit could no longer hear God. So next in line, the soul said, I got to do something. We're out of control here. I got to bring control. I got to survive. So the soul took over. The soul was never equipped to run the body. Okay? We're not, we're, you know, how many of you have seen people who were just over the top emotional? That's the soul. How many of you have met people who think it's so hard they can't do anything? They're frozen. Or do I do this? Do I? That's, the, that's the mind. Our mind is important, but it wasn't designed to control this complete body. Our spirit was. In union with the Holy Spirit. 
God says it, we hear it, it's dispersed to where it goes, we do it. Listen, we're not like Adam if we know Jesus. Jesus became the second Adam. He restored the last Adam. He restored our ability to hear God. We hear God through our spirit, which has been made alive again. And our spirit is supposed to tell the soul what to do, and the soul's then to tell the body what to do. But listen, most of us believe that our mind is the most important thing. You know why? We're children of the Enlightenment. Okay? If I can't prove it, taste it, touch it, then it doesn't exist. If I don't understand it, it's stupid. If I don't agree with it, it's even more stupid. That's how we live, amen? Turn your TVs on. You can watch it. You can watch it on CNN. You can watch it on Fox News. It's, it's, just, it's, it's a picture of, of allowing the mind to be in control and not the spirit. And so what happens is we have taken a view which is not biblical. The, the mind in Scripture is not the end-all, be-all. The Spirit is. And if we allow our spirit to control our soul, out of which the mind springs, out of which our emotion springs, out of which reason and all of those other memory and everything else springs, if we allow that spirit, our spirit, to, the Holy Spirit to control our spirit, to give orders to the soul and then to the body, we function like we're supposed to. We think like we're supposed to. We act like we're supposed to. Listen, there are many experiences which are spiritual in nature that make no sense to the mind. I'll give you one, for instance. It's called worship. If you just sit there and think about it rationally, worship makes no sense. Why do I feel good when I do this? Why, why, do, I, why, do, why, do, why do I feel like I connect with God? It's not a mind thing. It's an experience in the spirit that's taking place. Prayer's the same way. Listen, if you just pray with your mind, your prayers may not get very far. You have to pray with the, your spirit. And by that, I, I mean you can pray in a tongue or you can pray in English, but it has to flow from here. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? It's more than a mental exercise. It's a spirit exercise. Worship's the same way. Scripture says, Jesus said, he was, the Father is looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. They will worship with their spirit. They will worship with their mind. It's a partnership. It's a unity. Paul's not telling us to kick our minds out of gear. That's not what happens when a person speaks in tongues. They don't kick their minds out of gear. But each has its own place. He's simply saying that when one prays in a tongue, it's a spirit-to-spirit transaction, which bypasses the mind. I love what what Paul says. I mean, if you want to, if you want to get good theology, he gives you some good theology here. So, what are we supposed to do? Well, listen to what he says. If you struggle with what I'm talking about, what is the outcome then? First Corinthians fourteen fifteen. What's the outcome then? Well, I'll pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, 
and I will sing with my mind also. Now I'm going to translate that into, into, into what, he was, what he was saying. What he's saying is I choose to use my gift of tongues when I am alone and when I am in public. I pray uh, in my tongue in private, but when I'm in public with you, I talk in Greek so that you'll understand me. So that every one of you, when I'm, when I'm alone, I'm going to sing in my tongue. But when I'm in public, I'm going to sing in Greek so that you'll understand me. He's saying that the gift of tongues edifies and encourages us and encourages him in his private time. But you know what? I'm going to use it to the fullest extent in my, in my private time for self-edification. But when I do it publicly, I'm going to speak a language that everybody can hear, which in that day would have been Greek. And you know what? We're going to be corporately edified. Paul's desire was that he wanted all of them to be edified, to grow in Jesus by what God's doing in me. When he would come, he would, he would share with them what God was doing in him, but he would share it in a language that they could understand. What he's saying is, you know what? I will formulate words and I will formulate sentences in Greek so that, that through the use of my mind, all of you can be blessed like I am. What he's doing in that passage is he's championing, championing, I can't say it, champion, that's it. He's being a billboard, let me put it that way. He's being a billboard for self-edification. In other words, I'm going to edify myself when I'm alone. But you know what? I'm going to edify everybody when I'm in public. I'm going to walk a thin line between this ditch and this ditch. That's what he's really saying. In that passage. Jude, who's the brother of Jesus, encourages readers in his little epistle. In Jude 20, he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. You, you can apply that verse personally or you can apply it corporately, but both are vital. One doesn't happen without the other. Now listen, I'm going to Get to the end of this. Maybe you have this gift. Perhaps you have it. And, and, and you use it as a prayer language. Listen, Paul doesn't say you can't use it in the church. He does say that if you use it, use it silently. Okay? That's what he says. Under your breath. Unless God gives you a message that you're to share publicly. And if he gives you a message to share it publicly, then share it publicly. But make sure there's somebody who can interpret it or you can interpret it. That's what he's saying here. Pray in your prayer language. Use it in your worship. But do it quietly so that it doesn't affect the person next to you. Do it in such a way that it doesn't create confusion, maybe is a better way of saying it, or misunderstanding. Do it in such a way that your love for your brother or your sister is more evident than your gift is. You may be sitting by somebody who doesn't understand it. Maybe they don't have that gift. Maybe they question that gift. Then use it. In other ways, and in other places. Use it when you pray for the sick or the depressed. But do it in a way that draws attention to God. That glorifies God. And doesn't draw any attention to you. And listen, I would voice that request 
to everybody in this church, regardless of what your gift is. If your gift draws attention and it makes you the center stage, the one standing in the spotlight, you're out of order. All right? That's not what they're designed to do. They're not designed to make us superstars. They're designed to make us mature functioning parts of a body. And so regardless of what your gift is, let it draw attention to God. Let it give Him glory. Because we're just conduits. I'm going to make one last statement here. It's actually going to be more than one. I might as well not say that. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 39 through 40. He says, Therefore, my brethren, Desire earnestly to prophesy. We know that that the definition of prophesy is to hear what God says and speak the words that He says. He says, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. In other words, this is not supposed to be utter chaos and confusion when we meet. It's supposed to be organized. It's supposed, to ha- it's supposed to have some protocol. There are right ways to do things and wrong ways to do things. You can do the right thing in the wrong way, and guess what happens? It's not good. And that's what he says. Well, why? Why are we to do that? And he says it in, in 1 Corinthians 14, 33. He says, God is not a God of confusion, but he's a God of peace. Here's what I'm learning as I study through these gifts and as I I get older and I study God's ways more. When we do things God's way, we don't have anything to fear. Okay? We don't have to be afraid of this or that. We don't have to be afraid of that gift or, or, or dread this gift. If we do things God's way, we have nothing to fear. The Lord is really clear in First Corinthians, uh, or excuse me, Second Timothy one seven. He says, "For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, and love, and sound judgment." He has poured His power into us. He has given us an 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 unconditional love for one another. You may not believe it, but it's in there. It came with the package. It can be accessed. And he's given us discipline. He's given us good judgment. We can make good calls in moments when they need to be made. And if we'll just do those things, folks, God will bless us. God has authorized and gifted us to use his power, but he's done it if we, so that we'll use it in love and in order. If I don't use my gift in love, and it's, it's out of order. And if I don't use my gift in order, it's out of love. It's always got to have love. It's got to have order. When we do that, fear has no place to dwell. And God's glorified. So I want to encourage you today. If you have a gift of tongues, if you, if you use it in your private devotionals, build it. Continue to work in it. Go deeper with God. Find out about it. That gift's important. It's important for a second-class citizen. Don't feel threatened or fearful. It's, it's a gift. 
It doesn't mean God loves that person more than he loves you. Get rid of that stuff. That's the devil. Okay, that's how the devil sticks his foot in the door. He creates division. That's what he was doing in Corinth. He was creating division that if something was not done quickly, the church would have split. It would have blown up in that city. And when the dust cleared, there would have been no church there. And so Paul comes and he brings correction. He gives them parameters. He gives them ways to do things with the gifts that they have that edifies everybody. Folks, nothing's changed in the church. This is a gift that the church needs. This is a gift that we need. We just need to learn how to use it. Amen? Let's pray. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.